With sports car racing news and analysis from around the globe, this is the Double Stint Podcast. Here's John DeGeese and Ryan Marine. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Double Stint, Sports Car 365 Sports Car Racing Podcast in Indianapolis. I'm Ryan Marine. John DeGeese joining me from Chicago here as we recap another week of esports action, plus news from the world of sports car racing and some listener interaction as well to round out the show. John, let's start uh, talking about some esports news. We can talk about the virtual Le Mans entry list in just a moment. That's kind of interesting to see some of the names that are interested in taking part and the fact that there's a even a reserve list for the virtual Le Mans. We'll get to that in a second. Quickly, I did want to touch on our uh, GT Rivals race from over the weekend, the SRO America esports offering. And for once, it was not a Brian Heidkotter show. It was Carl Whitmer dominating the race from pole, took the lead uh, right off the, the bat, starting uh, on pole position, like I said, and really was not challenged from there. David Perrell put in a good effort. He finished in second and uh, really was the only one close to challenge. Brian Heidkotter had a rough time getting connected. In fact, the race was delayed in getting started because of some server-related issues, and Brian only had one lap of practice and that came in qualifying he started sixth and ended up third but quite a ways back so uh, nevertheless he's still in in good shape with four wins he's locked into the championship race next week anyone who's finished in the top five in a previous race will be in that championship race and we expect to have a race in opportunity prior to that championship race which will be held at Kyalami. so uh, check out the replay of that it's at sportscar365.com pretty interesting race it was at Bathurst and that's always interesting just by the nature of that circuit so hope you check that out if you didn't watch it uh, live over the weekend but to the virtual Lamar entry list now John interesting to see some of the names uh, names like Team Penske showing up and some names from the sim racing world that seems to be attracting a lot of attention yeah, there was a lot of attention on this um, entry list that was re- revealed over the weekend by the ACO. And like you said, complete with a reserve list, which I think was expected. But when you start looking at who's on the reserve list, it was a bit interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, you look at some full-time, full-time uh, WEC teams like uh, uh, Team LNT um, on the reserve list. Reese, who which has a confirmed entry in the real-life Loma, is actually on the reserve list for the virtual Loma. But um, nonetheless, it, it is quite impressive seeing the list of teams. We'll be getting um, driver lineup announcements in, in, in I think, this week and, and in the coming weeks, uh, building up to the race. And like you said, um, Team Penske's on the list um, in the prototype ranks. Um, mind you, there's only two different classes, LMP2 and GTE. All LMP2 cars will be using the Orica. Um, GTE spread out between the Ferrari, Porsche, um, Corvette, and Aston Martin. We do have a two-car Corvette racing entry, so that is good news to see that they'll be competing virtually this year in Lama, although they've withdrawn their entries from the real-life 24 hours Um Williams Esport, one of the leaders um, in in esports racing in 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 the virtual world, has teamed up with Rebellion. Um, they, I believe, have four entries total. I think the most there. But we also have entries from Toyota Gazoo Racing, um, others like United Auto Sports. Uh, Multimatic has also entered um, in the prototype ranks. Um, Team WRT, Panis Racing, Joda. So a lot of familiar names, but I think what we're going to be seeing is a lot of these teams teaming up with virtual um, entities uh, in the from the esports world because um, you're allowed up to two real life 
sim racers along with a minimum of two real life racers. So, um, you know, you could run an all professional lineup from the racing world if you wanted to, but I think to, uh, to extract the most out of your lineup, you're going to want some sim racers in your lineup. So that's why I think a lot of these teams have um, joined forces with some other entities in, in the, the, the esports world. So it's going to be interesting to see the who's who, you know, once the, the lists come out. But we know there's going to be some high profile drivers already taking part. I know Fernando Alonso's esports team is here. Um, also, there's some F1 drivers apparently confirmed as well, current F1 drivers on the grid. So um, be great to see once we get the actual driver uh, lineups as well. Yeah, we look forward to those coming in, and it should be a fun mix of names you know, and maybe unless you follow sim racing, some names you don't know, but uh, that should make for a fun 24 hours when we get racing. And like you mentioned, it is an interesting dichotomy because we've got uh, Corvette Racing, confirmed for the virtual race, but withdrawn from the real race. Meanwhile, Reese finds itself on the outside looking in on the virtual race, but in the last week as we transition to the news topics, did confirm its Le Mans entry. It is an all-French driver lineup, and maybe it's a, it's a different approach, I think, from what we've seen from Reese in the past uh, in terms of the, the lineups and things of that nature. Maybe that helped make this more realistic this year when other North American teams are struggling with the logistics and uh, the the travel restrictions of getting to Europe for the, the 24 hours of Le Mans. Yeah, the driver lineup was planned all along with um, Jules Gunan now officially confirmed alongside Sebastian Bourdais and Olivier Pla. We, we had a story on this quite a while ago. It seems like a year ago now, considering all the time we've been in lockdown. But um, yeah, it's good to see the team reconfirm. And like you said, Ryan, this could play to their benefit in a very good way, considering the the lineup. Of course, Bordet is U.S. based, so that does potentially cause a concern, but then also the entire team is as well. Um, the car, I believe, is probably in Europe. I, I'm not 100% sure right now. I have to do some digging logistically, but um, if it's the same effort as it was last year, I believe the, the car, the owner of the car, kept it in Europe post Lama. But um, nonetheless, there are still a lot of questions on whether, how, whether if or how Americans will be able to travel to France. Um, right now, there's still a lot of lockdowns and and question marks over immigration and 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 travel bans and whatnot. The, the European Union is starting to relax its borders, and I think that is the key for Lama to actually happen in September. Um, if that doesn't get relaxed or if it goes back to levels of previous months, I don't see how the race can occur in September. But right now, Americans are not allowed to enter France unless you have special exceptions. So there's still a lot of things to be decided there on that front. But good to see Reese still pushing forward on their plans to be there. Um, there's a couple other American teams, too. Performance Tech that is planning to link up with the European team for their entry. Um, Rick Ware Racing as well. WeatherTech with Scuderia Corsa. Um, they're still planning as well. So um, we'll have to wait and see how things develop. I'm sure this is an ever-changing and evolving situation. But um, good to see um, a great lineup with Reese and and Right now, they're currently the only non-WEC entered team for GTE Pro um, in that class. So more on uh, that continuing uh, evolution of the entry list and also on the travel restrictions in just a little while here. But uh, one from one 
kind of wild ride to another. Let's let's get to, to Glickenhaus and what they've been through, maybe even more vocal than Toyota in their intentions of coming to the hypercar regulations since they were announced. Those regulations, though, have gone through a bunch of changes, and it's kind of left Glickenhaus twisting in the wind a little bit, and, and even especially when it comes to engines. But it does sound like they've solidified their plans moving forward. But you do have to feel for this team, John, because they've had several plans in place only to have the rules change underneath them and, and force them to scramble a little bit. Yeah, initially they had plans to run a, a V6 turbo engine, um, an Alfa Romeo-based power plant, but that wasn't able to produce the required horsepower that was changed in the regulations when Aston Martin came in and confirmed their production-based Valkyrie delayed or canceled or whatever you want to call it. It's not happening. That's what we could say. So then the ACO readjusted the regulations more recently when the convergence um, happened with Lama LMDH and Lama Hypercar and brought down the horsepower again to the pre-Valkyrie levels when they allowed production-based hypercars inside the class down to 670 horsepower. So theoretically, if Glickenhaus had just stayed as where they were, they could have actually run the Alpha engine. But meanwhile, they've inked a deal with Pipo Motors, a, a, a World Rally uh, engine supplier, to build a twin-turbo V8 um, engine for their uh, their prototype uh, SCG007 hypercar. So um, James, James Glickenhaus confirmed to our uh, Dan Lloyd um, last week that they are still moving forward with the recent confirmation of their new engine from Pipo Motors. Um, so that's good news to see that, but it's kind of a missed opportunity, I think, both from Glickenhaus and from the WEC, not to see that Alfa Romeo brand represented, because I think a lot of people would have been very pleased to see that. And you kind of have to chalk that on to a bunch of circumstances leading to that. Um, quite frankly, Aston Martin's push for their car that never happened. And then now convergence that led down to the detuning of these Lama hypercars. So a strange sequence of events, but um, still good to see Glickenhaus committed to this program. Jim did have some quotes in the story, though, thinking that in some respects this did work out for the best, uh, noting that he'd rather be in a position where the car was having to be detuned or BOP'd back rather than having a car that, that needed the BOP help to get up to speed. He felt like that could give them a competitive advantage. Absolutely. You got to just look at some of the other situations in prototype racing right now that have that are kind of at the maximum limit. And, and Mazda sort of rings a bell to me. Um, that AER based engine has is at the top end of its development. It can't go any higher. And IMS has actually had to play with the BOP at times to try to suit that baseline more or less or that maximum level of output to, to put everybody around the Mazda more or less in terms of performance just because they can't actually increase the power. So um, it's good to always have extra um, performance in, in under your belt, and I, I think the Glickenhaus project probably will be better off with that. And lastly on this topic, some other quotes from Jim talking about discussions with manufacturers to maybe use the, the base of his hypercar program or his hypercar vehicle as potentially uh, an avenue to get into hypercar regs without having to go the LMDH route or to to build something from scratch. Yeah, it's an interesting one. I I don't know which manufacturers he's talking with, but I think a lot of 
automakers are open to ideas right now just to see what can happen. I, I think LMDH will still be the preferred route for, for the majority of them. Um, I, I think a project with a, a third party like Glickenhouse would be a bit challenging um, financially. I, I don't think that they can offer something as cost effective as what LMDH will be, which is very much like LMP2 today, just with the hybrid, a spec hybrid system and a spec um, uh, uh, transmission as far as we know. So I, I think that it would still make financial sense for manufacturers to go the LMDH route. But I guess you never know. You might get a boutique um, brand that might want to have a little more styling freedom or maybe not run a hybrid system, for instance, that could do an LMH. And if Glickenhaus is offering like kind of an off-the-shelf system package, it could work. Who knows? Um, there's a lot of question marks in the industry right now. So I, I wouldn't really say, I wouldn't lead go down a certain path and say this is a likely route. I, I think this is maybe just an option, and, and and we'll have to wait and see. Sure. Well, let's move on to a couple more topics here. You touched on the, the travel restrictions, and this is an ever-changing topic of conversation, and one that is going to have major implications for international sports car racing as the facts on the ground are today. What do we know about IMSA's efforts in particular to try and find a way to ease entry into the U.S. Uh, in order to go racing as they're scheduled to do now on 4th of July weekend? Yeah, we, we knew this for a couple of weeks that IMSA was working with some government departments, um, the State Department, the Department of Homeland Security, in trying to get some of these European and potentially Asian-based um, drivers over to the U.S. during this travel ban. Um, the U.S. still has a travel ban for the the, the majority of Europe, um, plus the U.K., Ireland, um, China, Iran, and most recently, the, um, President Trump announced over the weekend that Brazil goes into effect, I think, on May 28th or 29th. Um, luckily, Pipo Durrani um, took an overnight flight on Sunday. He arrived in the U.S. and back in Miami Monday morning. I believe Felipe Nasser is on his way later this week as well. So um, the Brazilians, from what we gather, should be okay in entering the U.S., but there's still question marks for a lot of drivers from Europe, um, engineers, um, support staff, manufacturer representatives, um, a lot of crucial personnel and, and drivers that need to be part of the WeatherTech Championship. And um, I know IMSA has been working really hard to make this happen. We did get some news late last week that um, the, the U.S. government will be allowing um, professional sporting athletes from some sports to travel to the U.S. Um, it didn't specifically list any um, forms of motorsport, any sanctioning bodies such as IMSA or IndyCar or um, any other championships, but we understand that IMSA is in continued dialogue with the government officials, and we should have some news later this week on this, whether it'll be possible or not. Um, the big question right now is that a lot of drivers are under different visa categories or might not have visas at all um, due to some contractual situations. So it's going to be a bit complicated, and I don't think that everybody's going to be just opened up and, and all the drivers will be allowed in. I think it's going to be a bit of a complex situation where we might see one or two drivers left out just due to circumstances. But um, if, again, these, re these, these restrictions are lifted um, for IMSA drivers in particular and, and support personnel, but um, really interesting times. I know that a lot of teams have been talking about backup plans and 
and potentially having drivers signed already um, in the event of their primary drivers not being able to make it to the U.S., um, it's our understanding that IMSA will be moving forward with their races um, no matter what. They're not going to be canceling them or postponing them if this deal doesn't come through. So, um, you know, you have to sort of have if you're a team, you have to sort of have some backup plans in place. And looking at some of these lineups, you know, the Porsche, for instance, has all four of its drivers currently out of the country. And um, three of them are in Europe. One of them is in New Zealand with Earl Bamber. And New Zealand has its own challenges in having a lockdown, um, having travel bans in both directions where um, residents can't leave the country or enter. So, um, that's a challenge for Earl. Um, there is a challenge for that in Australia as well. I don't think it has any direct effect right now for any Australians, but um, for sure, uh, Australians competing full time in the in the IMSA WeatherTech Championship. Um, somebody like Ryan Briscoe, for instance, lives in the U.S. So um, still a lot to dial, a lot to dive into. I think we should get some, hopefully, some clarity later in the week. But um, it's a definitely a developing story. We've been keeping a close eye on, even though not necessarily reporting on things. We don't want to speculate. We don't want to put hearsay out on the internet, but um, I've been keeping a very close eye on these developments and hopefully can have something more concrete um, later in the week. And final topic for the news this week, our weekly calendar update. We do have one more calendar change to discuss, but this one is probably a good one, certainly mutually beneficial with GT Masters moving its race, its finale, to avoid the a clash with the total 24 hours of Spa. Yeah, the round at Oschersleben, which was originally scheduled to open the GT Masters season, has now been moved to November 6th to 8th. So that avoids the clash with the 24 hours of Spa, as you said, Ryan. So um, logical move. It's great to see two uh, sometimes rival championships um, working together in, in this to, to make this happen. Um, you know, there's a lot of driver overlap, team overlap. We've always talked quite a bit about GT Masters and clashes with SRO championships. And we had some clashes initially with GT Masters and the Inter- Intercontinental GT Challenge powered by Pirelli. And um, quite frankly, looking at the list now, I don't see where that sits because we have the news of the Suzuka 10 hours being canceled. So um, that clash is no longer there, but GT Masters has re reconfigured its schedule where it's not even racing on that weekend to begin with. So um, everything keeps changing in terms of the calendars, um, but um, good to see this one at least um, fixed for now. Well, to your point, uh, there is probably something more to be said about Suzuka and the cancellation of that race. Where does it leave the IGTC and uh, I guess uh, just, just what led to the ultimate decision to pull the plug on that event? Yeah, basically SRO um, and their involvement in this race, they were required um, to sort of know whether the race would happen or not by early June. Stefan Rattel um, told the media this on, on, on numerous occasions, just in terms of the freight and, and, and logistics involved. And SRO's contract with the organizers in, in Japan it was, was to deliver X amount of cars. I think it's like a, a minimum 20-car grid or something to join the Japanese entries. And IGTC entries have always exceeded the minimum, I think, in the previous two years. But if you don't have the IGTC entries, then you don't have much of a race. And I think that's where the mutual decision was sort of made to cancel this year's running of the Suzuka 10 hours. 
Um, Super GT is still planning to restart their season, start their season, um, I think in July or early August, but this endurance race will not happen. Um, and it's pretty historic because there's always been a thousand kilometer, six hour, um, eight hour long distance endurance race in, in August in Japan at Suzuka, whether it be Super GT or FIA GT or, or other um, sanctioning bodies or other um, organizations, organizations through the years. So it's a bit disappointing to see this happen. Um, SRO still says they're committed to having a race in Asia um, later this year for IGTC. Um, to me, the only realistic option could be to piggyback um, a GT World Challenge round, um, Asia round, um, potentially, maybe the Sepang race in early December. But that creates a logistical challenge there with um, the season what was to be the season uh, closing IGTC round in Kailami just a few weeks before. Um, Stefan Rattel's always said he doesn't want to do air freight. Um, he's always against expensive options as, such as air freight, but maybe in these day and this day and age, you might have to do that. Um, we'll have to wait and see what SRO decides. Um, to me, if they just didn't have a race in Asia this year, that might be okay. We've seen, you know, IGTC, sort of grow through the years and not necessarily um, have a race on every continent as it does now, um, barring South America. So um, I guess we'll have to wait and see what develops there. And there's still question marks over the other races, I think, too. You know, it's like, for instance, the Indianapolis eight hour, which currently clashes with the, the Salem six hours of the Glen, as we discussed in the previous episode. So um, I'm not so sure how we can get all the participants in for that race, for instance, unless there's exceptions made um, by the U.S. government officials as well. So um, a lot's still up in the air, but we do have the news that, uh, unfortunately, Suzuka has been canceled for this year. Okay. Final uh, topic for this uh, episode here. It comes in via a question. Mask Cosmo wrote in and said, after seeing the NASCAR Darlington races, do you think the IMSA series can also get by with less or no practice sessions? And for those who don't follow NASCAR, what happened with uh, NASCAR returning to the track? They've done one-day shows. They've done no practice, no qualifying, just gone straight into the race. And actually, it's been fairly successful. Do you think, John, that that is something that might be feasible for IMSA moving forward? Well, I don't think IMSA can go straight into a race. Um, the The complexities of these cars prohibit that from really happening in terms of setup and and systems checks and 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 whatnot. Um, what IMSA has been talking about are two day shows where the teams unload, um, say Friday morning at, at 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 Daytona. I think that's the current plan. It's a Friday Saturday event where they unload Friday morning. They have an initial practice Friday afternoon, Friday evening. Then they qualify Saturday morning. And then they race Saturday afternoon, Saturday evening. I think that's the tentative plan they have right now for at least the first two races, both at Daytona and Sebring. Um, once we get to Road America for the third race in the restart, um, we're not quite sure if it'll be a full weekend. But I think IMSA is definitely planning, trying to do more two-day events, both from a, a budget standpoint and also, um, you know, just to keep the the less racing on track. Um, more cost control and having things be a little potentially safer by having teams and drivers at a track for a less, a shorter period of time. And um, I, I think this is definitely the, the way forward. But to answer your question directly, no, I don't think we'll be seeing any races where there's no practice or qualifying. I think it would just be a reduced level of practice and in a more compact format where 
they can get in and out quicker. It's interesting to think about. Thank you very much for writing in with that, Masked Cosmo. And if you have a question for our next show, you can leave it in the comment section or use the hashtag AskDoubleStint on Twitter. That's going to do it for us this week. We'd appreciate a rating and a review on iTunes if you have some time to share. And with that out of the way, we'll talk to you next week with our next edition of Double Stint.